This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Turning uh, in your Bibles, please, to uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Good morning. So we're in the middle of a series called The Ten Markers of a Healthy Missional Church. And the assumption is that if you go to a healthy missional church... These are some of the things that you would see, uh, some of the things that you would observe. And uh, this week, we're talking about heartfelt worship. My name is Tyler. I'm the pastor of worship arts here at Community Covenant Church. So naturally, uh, this falls on me. But uh, right off the bat, I'm going to get your help, okay? I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to invite you to respond. And I want you to know up front, this is not a trick question. You're not going to answer that I'm going to say, aha, let me tell you what the answer really is or anything like that. I'm just trying to get you guys involved and I want to get a sense of uh, if your reaction is kind of like mine. But here's the question. That 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 word, that, that phrase, heartfelt worship, what kinds of things does that bring to mind for you? I mean, what what might that be or what might that look like? And you don't have to give a, your personal definition of worship. I'm just looking for characteristics, maybe, of heartfelt worship. Anyone? Sincere? I heard that from somewhere. Okay. I'm sorry? Grace? Praise. I'm sorry. (laughs) Something else. So, sincere and praise. What else? Purposeful. Okay. Intentional, okay. Authentic. I really like that word. I'll t- you'll see why in a second. But no, I'm sorry. There was one more. Joy. Okay, very good. Well, when I started thinking about this, uh, I'm you know I started just looking at just the basic word. Uh, worship, at least one of the ways I've heard it, is talking about worth, the, what we put our worth in. So it's like worth-ship, right? So what I give worth to or place value in with my life. So the things that I do, the things that I say, the things that I think about, the things that draw my heart, the, 
Those are the things I give worth to. And then heartfelt, it has this idea maybe of it engages my passion or, or my inner self. Does that make sense? Or I put the word authentic, which maybe ties into the word authentic or, or purpose or intention. Okay. So when I start thinking about this, the, the passage that was read for us this morning, uh, came to mind. And specifically because Jesus talks about there, loving God with all of our heart. And so that seemed like a pretty good tie-in to me. But I'm curious for myself, my own heart, and your heart, and this one you can just answer just where you sit. But when you hear that passage, because for a lot of us it's a very familiar passage, is it not? It's a very familiar passage. But how does that strike your heart? How did it, in, in just a second ago as we read that, how did you engage with that? How did you understand how that relates to you personally? Here's the reason I asked the question in part. I grew up going to church, and I grew up in churches that did a pretty good job of emphasizing God's judicial holiness, okay? And uh, what struck me as I thought about this, and in, in the way that I grew up hearing this passage is, even though it's talking about our heart and loving God, it comes across us, and it, you know, it's the commandment word I hear. It's this obligatory, it's, it's a, a list of something I got to try and achieve. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's kind of just emotively how it hits my heart based on my upbringing. And, uh, and I start, so I start thinking about, well, how does that, apply to my heart though because we're talking about loving God with all of our heart the passage we looked at is related to what is known as I'm, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this properly but it's the Shema which means something like listen or hear and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and if you read Deuteronomy <clears throat> the Israelites are about ready to enter the land Moses isn't going to go in and so he reiterates the commands, the law of God. And in chapter about four or five of Deuteronomy, he gives the Ten Commandments, right? The, the kind of the, the, the measure by which everybody says, well, I'm a pretty good person because I keep most of the Ten Commandments. I want to suggest that the Ten Commandments are really intended to be guardrails along the side of life's path. In other words, when, when I go outside of one of the Ten Commandments, I'm completely off the road at that point, right? I mean, I've crashed. That's what that stands for. So when the Jewish leader, the Pharisee, Sadducee, I'm trying to remember what he was, but it's not coming to me at the moment. But anyway, he asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And if we were in that crowd, we may have been thinking, well, you know, there's the not using the Lord's name in vain. There's the, uh, you know, not making a graven image or casting an idol, that kind of thing. But instead, Jesus jumps right to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have this, Hear, O Israel, the Shema, that every good Jew would know. And it's, you're to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So there's three Hebrew words in that. They often get translated heart, soul, and might. And so we have the Ten Commandments. There's these guardrails. 
But what God is inviting us to do is to love Him. And this is a figure of speech when the parts represent the whole. So really what it's saying is, I'm to love God with everything that I am. Every part of my being. So, wow, that's heavy. But I want to remind us that in creation, as you watch creation unfold in Genesis, it's a beautiful thing. And and as things each day take more and more order, you see creation coming to fruition. And the, the apex of God's creation is when he, in the, the sixth day, he creates humanity. And he places humanity in his garden. And you almost see this, this folk focusing of God where his pleasure and in, in, in his uh, presence is. And he places humanity, Adam and Eve, right in his garden to be in right relationship with him and right relationship with one another. And what does he say at that moment? This is very good. Up until then, it's been good. But this is very, very good. This is what God had intended for us, that we live wholehearted right relationship with God and with one another. It mirrors in some ways, doesn't it? The Shema, that we are to give God all of who we are. We're to live in right relationship with Him. And then Jesus goes on, because living in right relationship with God always impacts how I live in community. And so he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19 and says we were to love our neighbors as ourselves. So when we love God as as we were intended, with the, that's good, that's very good, it ends up influencing how we love in community as well, how we engage people around us. And and we're we're called to live healthy and whole in our hearts. So that's the Shema. Now I want to point out, you'll notice that in the Shema or in the Hebrew, there's three words, and it comes I don't want to get too caught up in defining all the terms, but I do want to spend a little time on this word heart because that's what we're talking about. And in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the Hebrew words and the Greek words that translate into the word heart also are translated as mind, our will, our motives, wisdom. In other words, heart... It had a very broad kind of understanding. And it, and it was about our internal, our hidden self. So I have some ideas up here. So it was the motives and thoughts, emotions, desires, and will. It's the hidden part of ourselves. It's the part that nobody, including ourselves, sees directly through our five senses, right? We may have a sense of it indirectly, but we don't see it. It's that hidden part. And it's not just emotion or passion, but it's the way that we think. It's the place where our identity is formed. It's the place where we invite, when we come to follow Christ, we invite, what do we talk about? We talk about inviting Christ into our hearts. Because from that flows our decisions. From that flows our motivation. From that flows our identity from that flows our affections. I love that word. What our heart is drawn to. See, that comes from the heart, our affections. And so, some commentators have used the word heart-mind to represent the heart. 
Because it's not simply emotion, but it's that inner life that goes deep. And that's the other thing I want to point out. There's a depth to our heart. I think I have one part of a verse, a couple verses here. Let me look at the bottom one first. The purposes, purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. And there's a sense when you begin to read scripture that we're aware of some of the things in our heart. Nobody else can see. We're aware of some of the things go in our heart, but only God is aware of the depths of our hearts. God sees it all. In Jeremiah, it's the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, the very next verse says, the Lord sees the heart and the mind. It's the Lord who perceives that. And so I go through life aware some of my, my, what's going on in my heart, and I'm able to deal with it on some conscious level. But even it goes deeper than that, this unconscious level of where my heart is working to help form my thoughts, my motivations, and my will. So as I think about this, there's a problem. There's a problem that develops. And that is, because my heart is hidden, and maybe some parts are even hidden from myself, it's very easy to begin to live double-minded. There's certain phrases that get come out in Scripture. A hardened heart, or a heart of stone, a darkened heart. It becomes easy... Because it's so easy to, to judge by what appearances are. And if you're familiar with God's words, so often he says, don't judge things merely by appearances. But God looks at the heart. And, and we become like uh, people who are described, and I'm going to read this verse for you. I don't have it up on the screen, but it's Second Kings chapter 17, verse 33, describing some people who were living in the land. And who began to worship God out of obligation. And it says this about them. It says, They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. So, so worship became a form. We talked, uh, some of the ideas about intention and, and authenticity. It begins to lack authenticity. Worship becomes, takes a form. It becomes an external thing that I walk through and walk, I do, and rather than it being a part of deep in my heart, the deep places in my heart. So, uh, what I have as we look at this is I'm going to talk about three thinking errors. Now, these are not scientific. These are my own. There's nothing, these are just things that I feel like I've observed a little bit, either tendencies in my own heart or in the hearts of other people that I would like to address a little bit as we look at living before God wholeheartedly. So these are thinking errors that can come in if our heart is being deceived. Thinking error number one is worship is a significant event that leads to a changed lifestyle. In other words, worship is something that I go to in a place and time that happens to me. And then I respond to it. And my life has changed. Rather than 
the alternative, that worship is a changed lifestyle that leads to significant events. Do you see the difference? Now, I don't want to get caught up in semantics. I'm not suggesting that we don't call our services worship services or that we don't talk about worship in relationship to a service. We can get caught up in the semantics. The important thing is that our heart doesn't get caught up in those same kinds of semantics. That we think worship is delegated to a certain place and time, and the rest of the time my heart is someplace else. Worship is a changed lifestyle. I worship God. I give worth to who He is by how I live my whole life. And when we do that, when we do that collectively as the body of Christ, it can lead to significant events as we experience Jesus Christ together. Paul's writing to the Romans... And he hadn't been to the Romans. And so Romans is kind of a long book when you read it. He spends 11 chapters laying out his theology to the Romans and explaining the, the, the terrible predicament that sinful man is in and explaining what Christ accomplished through the cross and abolishing the, the law, the law's stamp of death on our life the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ and how God was working in history. And then finally, it's like at the end of chapter 11, he has this great poem thing that he reads about the unsearchable wisdom of God and what he's doing is absolutely amazing. And now we come to worship. We come to how we respond. And we get to this verse in in Romans Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all this that we've just reviewed, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, now Paul was a Jew. He would have been very familiar with the sacrificial system. In the sacrificial system, you, you had the body of an animal that represented its whole life. This is, again, a figure of speech Paul's not suggesting here that somehow we offer our bodies, maybe what we do, but not our minds and our hearts. The body here represents all of that we are. It's our whole life. And so, in view of what God has done, we offer our lives back to God. As a living sacrifice in the things that we do. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What's interesting to me about this, because I, I wonder if possibly Paul, who was very versed in Old Testament law, had this Shema in mind. Because he talks about worshiping and loving God in an acceptable kind of way. And immediately right after that, same chapter in 12, you know what he begins to talk about? How we now then relate to one another. How we begin to relate. And right down in verse 10 is this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Does that sound familiar? See, our love of God and our love in the context of community is connected. Intimately connected. So we can't think of worship as something that happens here when I do this and here when I do that but the rest of my life is mine 
or I just make some decisions and, and as long as I give 10% of my time, you notice there's no, there's no allocation other than I give everything that I am. Because I'm made to be connected with my God. I'm made to live dependent on Him. It's not as though I, I portion out my life and live fragmented. I learn to live in constant faith in my God. And that the way that I respond to the people around me, the things that I do, become an act of worship that I value God for what he did for me, what he did for humanity, what he did for you, how he has taught me to release bitterness and anger and, and all those kinds of things. So my life becomes an offering of worship that when I gather with other people who call on Jesus in the same way, we get to retell the story of how God is setting us free. We get to tell the story together of the great things that God has done, our new understanding of his love for us, how we've seen him at work in the world. All right, thinking error number two. Some people, because of personality or background, are more wired for worship than others. Now, what I'm basically trying to get at is this idea that some people are expressive, is really what it is, right? Difference in personality. So some people, yeah, they, they worship, but that's not my personality, is the idea. My wife and I, we have this ongoing joke that we do once in a while. Last year, for our anniversary, we were kayaking out in Prince William Sound. And all by ourselves out there, we had two kayaks. And it's incredibly beautiful out there sometimes, you know? And uh, you know how you have one of those moments where you see something incredibly beautiful, for example, in nature, and we could talk about other, other places of beauty, but you think, I can't believe I get to be here to see this. I can't believe I get to experience this right now. And we were paddling along the shoreline, and, and in Prince William Sound, there's lots of nooks and crannies and little waterfall. I mean, it's like every little bend, there's a whole new scene. There's a whole new thing that's going on. And, and we found a little tiny channel and that's just big enough for the kayaks, and we paddled in there, and it kind of snaked around and opened up into a little bit bigger pond, and then there was a stream that was coming, you know, off the mountain, and and the trees... And there was enough mist so that the sunlight behind it, it just looked like it was glowing. It was this incredible scene, and we, we talked about it, and we kind of felt like, it's like Moses and Elijah are suddenly going to step out right there. It's like, I mean, it was just like, wow! And and we'll experience something like that, and we'll say, one of us will say, I can't believe that we get to see this, that we get to experience this. And the other one will say something like this. Eh. It's okay, I mean, if you're into that sort of thing. As a way to highlight, how could you not be moved by that? How could you not just be like, oh my goodness. Eh, it's okay. When I was beginning in, in ministry, where I had regularly ministry positions to pay for, I was working with youth. And when I first got started, one of the first... Uh, classes I had was some junior hires. And I didn't know about it beforehand, but all these junior hires went to a Christian school. 
And, you know, we'd get into Bible study and, and we'd start talking. And I tell you what, they were not impressed by anything I did at all. And they weren't impressed by anything in God's Word. They knew the answers to everything. But it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, Jesus Christ came and died. We know he, he forgave us from our sins. And it, it, was like, it was like their familiarity with the words didn't penetrate their hearts anymore. Or maybe never had. And it was like nothing I could say or do. And, and frankly, maybe partly was I was bad. I don't know. But I had never... I mean, these were kids that knew the answers like nobody I had ever worked with before. But the answers didn't penetrate their hearts. It, it didn't have any life for them. And so it was kind of like, eh if you like that sort of thing. So here's my point. Some people, because of personality or background, are more wired for worship than others. And that's not true. All humanity is created as worshipers. In other words, we're created to see God's glory, to see what God has made, and we're moved. Our hearts get captivated by things. We find purpose and meaning outside of ourselves. We're not an island into, unto ourselves where we get to just dictate where everything is. We're made to worship. Our hearts are drawn. What is your heart drawn to? I had a weird experience uh, a few weeks ago. It's starting to fade. I'm glad. <laughs> I, I have a motorcycle endorsement, right? Which I got totally on a fluke. They accidentally put it. But I'm motorcycle endorsed. I can ride legally. I can ride motorcycles. And I've ridden a couple of them. But I'm by no means an experienced rider. I haven't had, you know, whatever. But all of a sudden, about three or four weeks ago, I was like, man, I want, I want to go riding on a motorcycle. It's like my heart was just really to the point where I had to start going, wait a second, what is going on with me? I mean, I wanted to go buy and just look at more. Now, I don't have money to buy a motorcycle, but I'm still going to go look at them because, wow, that would be cool. What would it be like to ride that one and start thinking about it? See, my heart was drawn into something. And everything is good in its proper place. There's nothing wrong with motorcycles. I told one of my friends this morning, he showed me his Harley not to, it was beautiful Harley. I said, hey, I'm talking about your motorcycle maybe in the message this morning. But see, at some point I realized, you know, there's something going on about the desires of my heart. Whether it's desire for transcendence, desire for control, security. What is that? That all of a sudden, a motorcycle that I really don't have much experience with that my heart is drawn to. And I have to check it. See, what's your heart drawn to? God invites us to love Him wholeheartedly. We have to remember that our situation was impossible. There's God who dwells, as the Bible tells us, in unapproachable light. His beauty, holiness, sovereignty, majesty, power, and holiness piercing and infinitely great beyond what our imaginations can even bear. And the entire Bible reveals that God's unflinching commitment to the glory and honor of His name 
that he has unflinching commitment to the glory and honor of his name, and that no, nothing that is unclean or impure in any way can come into his presence. So we have that. And then we don't realize sometimes, we think, eh, you know, a little sin, a little here. It's like, I mean, polite people, if you, if you, you know, offend somebody and they're a polite person, they'll overlook it. I mean, what's the big deal if we just do a little bit, right? But we fail to recognize that any time we operate apart from God, even in a little bit, essentially we're saying, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I'm going to do things my way. And right now, you're really inconvenient. You've heard the expression about not looking a gift horse in the mouth. Well, we look the gift horse in the mouth and we say, no, thank you. We miss out. We don't perceive and we miss out on the majesty of God's glory and the brokenness of our sin and the reality that apart from Jesus Christ, I mean, who would have, who would have guessed? Who would have known what God would have done? And we glory in the cross, not just as a symbol for what it represents. That forever what we see is the holiness of God. The God who could not allow anything impure into his presence. And yet, he would send his son, Jesus Christ. The son of God. To take our punishment on him. And give us life. In Hebrews, we read these words. I want to read these. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, and the most holy place for the Jews, of course, the inner place of the of the temple, and there was a whole series of things you had to do and series of dividers, and only the high priest one time a year could go into the Holy of Holies, which represented the most central place of God's presence. And you remember that when Christ died, the veil was torn. So you and I, we get to walk right in because of what Jesus Christ did. We get to come right back in into complete restored relationship with our God. So as Romans says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because he bore the penalty of our sin. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It's interesting when you look into Revelation and you see just notice what time it is i'm in big trouble when you look when when you look into revelation and you see uh jesus worshiped it's not just because he was present acting in creation it's not it's it's janelle said it earlier worthy is the lamb that was slain you you look at it at uh revelation chapter five worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor power and glory. And we see the risen uh, 
glorified Lord Jesus bearing scars still. So have you ever got like a new car, new house after, you know, it's really cool. It's like, this is neat. And after a week, yeah, it's pretty good. A couple of years later, it's like, I got to get rid of this piece of trash, right? Heaven's not going to be like that. We don't get over the cross. But as God is infinite in his glory and his majesty, and we see the depths of what he did, we're constantly reminded of what Jesus did to bring us into right relationship with him. See, it's intended to move our hearts. It's intended to encourage us to give, respond, and worship with everything that we have. Yeah. Yeah, if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm out of time, so I wanna I wanna lead us in some confession. Where's your heart this morning? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up. And here's the thing. I want to encourage us not to engage in self-condemnation. The beauty is that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And now we allow God's spirit and his word to reveal in us where God wants to set us free. Set us free from the things that are captivating our heart that are lesser glories than Jesus Christ. So we invite God. We What we do is say, God, work in my heart. Show me by your spirit, by your word, where you want to set me free. We do that. And then and that what we do is we, we name it. We confess. Say, God, I, I'm more interested in motorcycles today than I am about you. Or I'm more interested in getting respect from my kids than I am about trusting that you love me just the way I am. Lord, I feel like I'm not loved unless, I'm not cared for unless I go out and buy something today. See, we, we, we name those things. We name them. That's what confession is, right? And then what we do is we say, we ask ourselves, now if it's true, is it true that God is, is glorious and that he's cared for my deepest needs and that he loves me? How do I act differently now? How do we behave differently as a result? So I mentioned the, the example of, of a man who maybe demands respect from his kids. Or he's going to demand it because otherwise he feels insignificant. See, I'm worshiping something other than God. My God has given me my significance. So I'm able to respond differently to my kids when I give worth to who God is and what his word says about me. I respond differently. So... I can I name it as confession. I choose different actions. That's repentance. That's doing something different than I did before. Let me just say real quickly, that's what healthy hearts do. Unhealthy hearts don't do that. We think of people who have to confess and repent, they're bad people. Well, if that's true, we're all bad, okay? Let's think about it in terms of what healthy hearts do. We guard our hearts, as Proverbs says. We guard our hearts and we do that by continuing to confess those things which are not worthy of the one who gave his life for us. We confess those and say, God, I want my heart, I want my affections to be drawn to you. So I I name these things and when we name those things, when we confess them, that's worship. That's worshiping God in truth. 
and in spirit, just like John chapter 4 talks about. So would you pray real quick with me? Let's just bow and pray. God, if we're honest, all of us have those places in our hearts where we're drawn away from your glory. We're drawn away. We we hold our hearts back from you and from what you want to do. Lord, we trust your spirit to reveal those to us. Lord, we name what those things are. Would you do that? Take just a moment and just name name a place maybe where God's Spirit is reminding you that you're holding back. And Lord, now we, we use our will. We decide we're going we're gonna to do it differently with your help, with your strength, knowing your love for us, your provision. We repent. And God, may we share in this together. May we offer our hearts and lives to you together and share what you've done for us in setting us free. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.